It is a uh, particular blessing for me to be able to be with you again and to have this opportunity to open the scriptures with you. Uh, I wanted to take this uh, opportunity also to say thank you to you as a church for your support of our ministry and your not only financial support but also your prayers for us. We do try to uh, keep you informed. Uh, my wife does a, a lot of uh, that, uh, of answering letters and responding uh, to questions. I tend to write general, uh, general reports that uh, I think you get from time to time. I thought I might say just a word about uh, what we are doing before I move into our our study for this morning. Uh, we are working through Mission to the World in an, uh, a, an arrangement with the Evangelical Presbyterian Church in England and Wales. Uh, the, the Evangelical Presbyterian Church is a very small denomination, uh, very small churches, 10 small churches, and I'll tell you more about that uh, this evening. But uh, we have been there almost 15 years now. It hardly seems that long since uh, we went to England, but uh, that's the case, and we have seen some real blessing. We want to uh, share that with you as well this, this evening. Our thought was that uh, I wouldn't do a report on what we were doing when I had the men here and my wife was with the ladies over at the manse, but uh, we would do that report kind of thing tonight. And what I want to do in that report is try to uh, put you in something of a picture of, paint a little picture of the history of uh, Christianity, but also particularly of Presbyterian uh, ministry in England from the time of the Reformation until today uh, with special emphasis on what we are doing as, uh, uh, as a church there and what Mission to the World is doing to assist the Evangelical Presbyterian Church in its ministry. So I'm hoping that most of you will be able to uh, join us this evening for that time. And uh, of course, this is also an opportunity for us coming to Owensboro to be with family in, in the area, and, uh, and Art and Sharon Scott have uh, driven out to, to uh, see us during this time. So this afternoon, we're going to get a few hours to catch up with them. And then tomorrow, uh, early, early, we have to head for uh, Nashville, where I have a couple of appointments. And on Tuesday morning, we head for the airport to uh, return to England. So we're also looking forward to that. Now, if you would like to uh, turn in your Bibles, uh, we're looking at Mark's Gospel, at Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1. Now, Mark is different from Matthew and Luke in that in Matthew and Luke, we have the record of the birth of Jesus Christ, the incarnation of, of Christ. But in, in uh, Mark... 
Mark just skips over all of that and plunges straight into the beginning of uh, the preparation for the ministry of Jesus and then introduces Jesus' ministry. And he begins his gospel this way. Follow as I read. The beginning of the gospel about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. It is written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the desert. Prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths for him. And so John came, baptizing in the desert region and preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to hear him. Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. And this was his message. After me will come one more powerful than I, the thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. May God bless his holy word to our hearts. Words. 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 What are they? Are they useless? Do they change anything? We read the words that are written in the newspaper. We hear the words on the radio or on television. We know that our politicians and our statesmen gather in the places of power around the world and they speak words to one another. And we're often skeptical as to whether their words will change anything for our lives. But we hope. How important are words to us? Words are important, you know. Did you ever learn that little uh, rhyme when you were a little boy, or maybe some of the boys and girls here have, have heard it? Uh, sticks and stones may break my bones. I see smiles. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but names will never hurt me. Did you learn that? I was taught that as a little boy. It's a kind of uh, defense against someone who calls you a name and you don't like it and your parents may teach it to you with the idea that uh, they don't want you to get into a fight over this. They want you to say, it's not really going to hurt you. But is it really true? Words can hurt, can't they? They hurt very, very deeply. They may not break our bones, but they break our hearts sometimes. Names can hurt, words can hurt, but words can also heal, and words can bring comfort, and words can bring joy, and words can bring encouragement to people. The gospel is words. This word gospel, our English word gospel, comes from an old English word, Godspell. And the word Godspell means good story. 
but the word gospel is also used to translate a Greek word in our New Testament Bibles. It translates a Greek word that means good news, good news. So the gospel is a news account. It's a news story. It's reporting certain facts, certain events. To us, it may be just words reporting things that happened long ago, but which we did not see. And can we trust those words? But the gospel all not only tells us about events from long ago, the gospel also speaks to us about the state of our hearts, things inside us that we cannot see. Does it tell us the truth about what is inside us? This gospel is very important to us. Now, Mark tells us that the gospel began with John the Baptist. William Hendrickson, a commentator, makes a pretty good case for his paraphrase of this opening of the gospel of Mark. And he opens it this way. He says, the good news about Jesus Christ the Son of God, began with John the Baptist. It was John who, as predicted, prepared the way for Christ's coming. The New Testament gospel began with John, John the Baptist. Now, I want us to look at three things as we come to this particular passage I want you to see, first of all, the promised messenger. There was a promise that a messenger would come. Secondly, I want you to see what that messenger did. And then I want us to make the jump from back then to now and see what that means to us. How should we respond? Mark speaks of the prophecy of You'll have to excuse my pronunciation, Isaiah. It took me a long time to learn to say Isaiah and, uh, instead of Isaiah. But uh, he tells this, of this prophecy of Isaiah, and then he quotes also from Malachi as a preparation for what he quotes from Isaiah. And uh, what, he, what he says here is that a messenger is to come. It is a messenger who will prepare the way for the Lord, which hints at the method that we have for preparing the way for the Lord. The method, you see, is a message. It is words. And this is confirmed in the quote from Isaiah. A voice would call in the desert, he says. Not some disembodied voice, but the voice of a messenger. And this messenger <clears throat> will, will say, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight paths for him. But how does one go about preparing the way of the Lord? And how does one make straight paths for the Lord? Well, we see it in what the messenger did. The messenger, of course, we are told, is John the Baptist. And John, we read here in Mark, went to the desert 
Now, I don't know about you boys and girls, but when I hear about a desert, quite often I tend to think of piles of sand. Any of you think about piles of sand, big piles of sand when you think of the desert? And uh, maybe a camel trying to climb through the sand. But you see, the desert wasn't like that where John went. It's just the wilderness that's over on the east of, uh, of Jerusalem. And uh, this wilderness is, uh, has bushes growing in it and plants that are kind of rough and scrubby. And you can raise some sheep out there as long as you don't put too many and they eat all the bushes. And they can pick food off those little by little. So there are people out there in the desert. But why did he go to the desert if he wants to bring a message? Well, you see, there's something else about this desert. When you go down towards Jericho, it's the route that people would take from northern Israel to go to Jerusalem. They didn't want to come through Samaria, so they would come down the valley uh, opposite across the Jordan, and then they would cross over the Jordan River and then come up the road that goes up into Jerusalem. By going down there by the Jordan, John was at a place where there were people coming by. And also, he got out from under the noses of the leaders uh, there in Jerusalem who wouldn't like what he was going to be saying. Of course, people heard about it in Jerusalem, and some of them came down the road from Jerusalem to hear him preach. So John was very strategic in what he did. He went to a place where he could openly and safely and uh, preach to people that were going by and people who were coming then as his fame spread to hear him. And what did he preach to them? Well, he preached repentance. Repentance means a change, a change of mind. And, of course, if we change our minds, we change what we do. A change of direction in our lives. To preach repentance indicates that something needs to be changed. And what needs to be changed is the sinful way that we live, the sin in our hearts. No one is going to change something unless they know they need to change it. And we as sinners need to hear that we are sinners and that we need to change. And he called on these people not only to change, but publicly to acknowledge their repentance by submitting to baptism. It's a rite of purification, something that John adapted from and adopted out of the Old Testament. You see, in the book of Hebrews, we're told about uh, these Old Testament rites of purification that Hebrews calls in, Hebrews 9.10, calls them baptisms. Oh, I know most of our translations, like the NIV that I have in front of me, calls them ceremonial washings. But uh, the Greek word is baptism. And then it goes on there in uh, Hebrews 9, 
<clears throat> to describe what was going on in the Old Testament as the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkled uh, on those who were ceremonially unclean. And so these baptisms were John's way of ceremonially cleansing the people who made a profession of uh, repentance. But that's not his whole story. This is not just a moral preaching of change the way you live that John was involved in. He was also pointing to another. That was his message. In fact, it's very interesting that after Mark tells us that he came uh, preaching a baptism of repentance, that he goes on and says in verse 7, and this was his message. This was his message. The focus of his message. After me will come one more powerful than I, the thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. He points to another. He appoints, he points to the one who is to come. He points to Jesus Christ. This is the center of John's message. John, John's message, John's method of preaching and all that John was doing was very humble. John wasn't trying to build an empire of his own. He wasn't just trying to build up a group of followers of John. He was trying to bring people to a, to a knowledge uh, of Jesus Christ. And we see it in a couple of things that he does. Later on, they, his disciples come and ask him about the people that are going to Jesus, and he says, it's okay. He must increase. I must decrease. And it's also illustrated in what you find in John's gospel, that is, John the Apostle's gospel, where he says, behold, the Lamb of God. And what happens? His disciples see who he's talking about, and they go and they follow Jesus. John was interested in bringing people to a place where they would look to Jesus Christ, and they would respond to him. So John went to a strategic place, he preached repentance, and he preached a gospel of faith in the one who was coming, Jesus, and pointed people specifically to him. Well, that's what happened 2,000 years ago. What about us? You see, the gospel not only prepared the way for the coming of Jesus the first time, but the gospel prepares the way for the coming of Jesus the second time. It is our responsibility to bring this same gospel to the world to prepare for the second coming of Jesus Christ. It's the same gospel that we need to preach. We need to take that to strategic places in the world. For, for us, that means that we are in England, in an important country. And in England, we are focusing on strategic cities to try to establish churches that will 
reach people with the gospel. But reaching out to the people around is part of what we do. But the other part is that we must bring people to understand their need of a Savior. We must speak about sin. And that's because people don't want to hear about sins. Many people do things that are quite respectable in our society, and yet the Bible calls them sins. They tend in our day to look at, uh, at sin as just those things that are major crimes. And there is a tendency to minimize evil in the world. <clears throat> I was in a Bible study uh, some time ago, and we were talking about this kind of thing, and we got thinking about some of the things that people do, you know. I don't know about around here, but I've been in places where they sell T-shirts as souvenirs, you know, and they sell these little T-shirts to, uh, for people to buy and take home to their children, or especially to grandchildren, you know. And, they, and these uh, little T-shirts, and, and one of them I saw said, I'm a little devil. Cute. Or is it? Is it just trifling with something that's evil and that we shouldn't be trifling with? And that's the way the world is. We have to work to get across the truth that every infraction of the law of God is real sin and deserves God's wrath. The gospel only becomes good news when it's news that will solve a real problem. One of the big problems we have is uh, convincing people that they are sinners. One of the things we have a trouble doing in, in England. I had a man say to me, sit in my house one day, and he says, but I don't sin. I said, I'm going to ask your wife about that, but... Uh, didn't get very far with him. And then, not 